Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hey, welcome to week three of our series about what it means to do life together. Uh, I was reading a passage in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, and there were a bunch of commands, uh, most of which you would expect, but one kind of jumped out at me. And I want to see if you notice it. This is from Leviticus 19, 16 to 18. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, those last words, love your neighbor as yourself, are quite familiar. Uh, The phrase that jumped out to me was, rebuke your neighbor frankly. Do you do that? Do you regularly go next door and say, you know, oh, this decor is awful. What were you thinking? You know, I hate your carpet and these drapes are terrible and your kids are just an embarrassment and your dog is ugly and your food smells bad. I mean, when was the last time you rebuked your neighbor, frankly? And how did this get in the Bible? Maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm actually excited that this is in the Bible, that God actually commands me to rebuke my neighbor. I've been wanting to do that for a long time. Uh, Most people have no idea this is in the Bible. So I want to talk today about this one commandment, rebuke your neighbor, frankly. I want to talk about why you need to rebuke your neighbor, frankly, and how you rebuke your neighbor, frankly. And I want to ask you to make a commitment that you will rebuke your neighbor, frankly, starting today. I make absolutely no guarantees about the quality of this message, uh, but I promise you will know what it's about by the time it's done. Uh, If someone asks you, if I go online and listen to the message from this week, what will I learn? You can say to them, you will learn how to rebuke your neighbor, frankly. All right, so here we go. I'll start with the why. Why does it matter so much that you rebuke your neighbor, frankly? Uh, There's a great book by Joseph Grenny that our staff recently worked through for the second time. It's called Crucial Conversations. And it, it really gets at the need to do what the writers of scripture call uh, rebuke your neighbor, frankly. Uh, the idea in, in any relationship is that there are certain moments that have a disproportionate impact on the relationship and your character and your spiritual life. Uh, what you say and don't say in those moments will have an impact way beyond what might happen in the hours or days or weeks of the relationship otherwise. Uh, and we all know this. You're at work and a coworker approaches you. Uh, it's a real vulnerable moment. Uh, they mention a person who's reporting to you. You're their supervisor, but you're kind of letting them get away with murder and you're not holding them accountable. So what do you say in that moment? Do you get defensive? You go to a party and your girlfriend or boyfriend or spouse is talking way too much. Uh, They're embarrassing themselves, uh, but they don't know they're embarrassing themselves. 
When you get in the car to drive home, it's clear they think they had a great time. Uh, they think they were the shining light of the party. What do you say? You bring the man of your dreams home to meet your mom and dad, and it's real clear that your dad doesn't think this is the man of his dreams for you. What do you say? You're in a small group and someone in the group drives you crazy. I mean, they talk way too much or they're uh, way too opinionated or uh, they use humor or sarcasm in a kind of a jabby way or they just talk uh, way too much about politics. Uh, it's clear they voted for the candidate you love the least, uh, who you're pretty sure even Jesus doesn't love. <laughs> what do you say to that person? Your mom is a tremendously needy person, and when holidays roll around, you heroically clear space on your calendar so you can spend time with her. You're, you're available to her for, from morning until night. You're heroically empathetic and sacrificially attentive to her. And when it's time for you to leave, she says, you know, thanks so much for coming, honey. You know, come back again when you can stay longer. What do you say in that moment? There will be these certain moments and the way you respond, what you say or don't say is going to either build a bridge or it's going to build a wall. These are moments for what the writers of scripture call rebuking your neighbor frankly, or what Granny calls crucial conversations. You can recognize them by three elements. All crucial conversations involve high stakes. Uh, it's not something trivial. Uh, opposing opinions, you see things quite differently on some issue, and strong emotions. Now, one of the ways you can look at the Bible is the Bible is a series of crucial conversations from the beginning to the end. Uh, the very first crucial conversation occurs when uh, the first sin occurs. Uh, the man and the woman disobey God. They eat from the fruit. Uh, they, they want to have their eyes opened uh, to be like God, uh, community is broken, and so God initiates the first crucial conversation. And this is so interesting. The very moment that God initiates it, the man avoids it. He runs away and hides in order to not have this crucial conversation. Now, if God hadn't pressed the issue, how long do you think the man would have continued avoiding the crucial conversation? He would probably still be avoiding it today. Now, why is that? Is it just because he was a man and the woman would have been much better because, of course, all women are way better at having crucial conversations than men are? Is that the point he's making? No, that's not the point. Uh, the problem is sin, see? Uh, the very first crucial conversation in Genesis 3 was real high stakes. It was a life or death deal uh, with real opposing opinions. The question is, who gets to be God? God thinks he should be God. We think we ought to be God. And very strong emotions, desire, fear, shame, anger. And then one of the results of sin is a desire to avoid having the crucial conversation or to have it in a real bad way. Um, here's the lesson around that. The health of a community is a function of the lag time between identifying and discussing problems. How much of a gap is there between when I'm aware, oh wow, we have a problem, and when I actually bring it up? If there's a long lag time, 
something is going to happen inside of me. This, this passage is so fascinating. Like psychologically, it's so astute. Uh, this is what the writer of scripture says. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly. Now there's a connection between these two statements. If you don't rebuke your neighbor frankly, you'll end up hating him in your heart. All right, so the second crucial conversation in the Bible is around the second sin recorded in Scripture. Uh, Cain was mad at his brother, Abel, because Abel's sacrifice had been accepted by God, but Cain's wasn't. Uh, He felt left out. He was angry and he was envious. Uh, Now, God is going to initiate the second crucial conversation in the Bible. Uh, This is what the writer of Scripture says. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Now, of course, God is not confused about this. God knows what's going on. The reason he asks Cain those questions is he's inviting Cain into a safe space to talk about what's happening in his heart. That's why having a crucial conversation is so critical. If you don't talk it out, you will act it out. And if you know the story, that's exactly what Cain does. He doesn't talk about it with God. See, a lot of what prayer makes so alive is I bring to God what's deepest and darkest and rawest in my heart, and God will listen to anything. God will help me with anything. I mean, that's prayer. If your prayer feels stilted or uh, not alive, it's probably because you're not bringing your real heart to God. But if you don't do that, if, if you don't talk about it uh, with God and with the other person, you will act it out. It will just come out of you. It'll, it'll come out of your face. It'll come out of your nonverbal conversation. You, you'll go into withdrawal mode or uh, prickly mode or whatever it is. With Cain, it's tragic, and he ends up killing his brother. This is real critical, and there's a huge reason why. And this now kind of gets to the how of rebuking your neighbor, frankly. What I want to do for the rest of this message is walk through this command, rebuke your neighbor, frankly, one word at a time. Uh, Because at each point, there's a decision. There's a a crossroads where uh, we're going to want to go the other way. All right. The first word is rebuke. Uh, This is difficult uh, for most people. Uh, Some people will do this with a little too much enthusiasm, but for most people, it's kind of difficult. Uh, What I would rather do is avoid because uh, it's going to be awkward because the other person is not going to like it. Um, This is especially important in churches. Often in churches, people suffer from terminal niceness. Uh, They will not tell the other person the truth because uh, they feel like loving them means not hurting their feelings. To love does not mean to avoid hurting feelings. Uh, I told you about the book Life Together by Bonhoeffer. Uh, What he writes is just amazingly profound. Reproof is unavoidable. In fact, nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls another back from the path of sin. Do I love you enough to have a crucial conversation with you? I know, I know, it's hard, it's awkward. Uh, Not long ago, a friend of mine did something that offended me. And so I knew I needed to have a crucial conversation with my friend, but I didn't want to. Now, here's the deal. I want to introduce you to a a key concept as we think about rebuking your neighbor, frankly. There's kind of a 
a, a ladder of rebuke. Now, all the time, stuff happens in relationships. And the more you're together, the more often it happens. You know, a ding here, a ding there. There's an awkward moment. There's a, a, a disconnect. You know, it just feels a little bit off. It can be a single sentence. It could be a, a single word. It can be a raised eyebrow. Now, on a scale from one to 10, this thing with my friend was like a one or a two. And, and I thought maybe... I'm being a little too sensitive. Maybe it's my fault that I'm having feelings about this at all. And I didn't want to talk about it with him. I didn't want to raise it because I thought I'd feel stupid. You know, I'd feel awkward. I, I didn't know what the outcome would be. It'd be easier just to ignore it. But then there would be this little tiny sliver in my heart. And I'll look at him and feel about him a little bit differently. And then there's a little something else that goes on inside of me. I know that I shrunk back from having that conversation, not out of bravery, not out of love, but just out of cowardice. Especially in families, especially in marriages, this happens over and over and over again until ones and twos become fours and fives. And you, were, you know where this is headed. Then it becomes eight or a nine, and then it's a 10, and love has died. One person says to someone else, not just I don't love you, but I never loved you. It's not true. They want to think it's true in the moment, but it's not true. And it didn't hit them out of the blue. What happened is a thousand little ones or twos that never got talked about, a thousand little moments where intimacy and love could have been fought for but weren't, just build up over time and love died. You see, I have to rebuke. I have to have the hard conversation. I have to have the courage. And we as a church have to learn to be good at this. This is not community 101. I mean, this is like advanced community. And this is God's command for the whole nation of Israel. They were going to be God's people. So rebuke. It's important that we do this. All right, we'll talk about the rest of this command in just a moment. If we're honest, no one likes to be rebuked, but there is something different when it comes from someone you know, someone you trust and have a relationship with. There's a truth about all of us that you'll hear often said that we need to be connected relationally if we're going to grow spiritually. And that's why we're passionate about small groups. There are places where you can pursue authentic relationships and experience spiritual growth. Now, if you've never been in a small group, don't worry. The first time together is not going to be this full-on confrontation and crucial conversations. As Matt says, uh, that's advanced community. But a small group is it's a place where connections are made, where conversations can get real, where relationships are developed, and taking step after step in your faith, you can grow with Jesus. In small groups, you can build trust. And you can find yourself loving people enough to have these crucial conversations with them and with yourself. New small groups are beginning, and we have both online and in-person opportunities for you. This is the last weekend to register for the fall season. And I encourage you to not miss this opportunity to connect with others, to take a next step in your spiritual growth. Head to blueoakschurch.org, click the latest news button, and then the small group button. You'll be able to search for a group that fits with your availability and with your season of life. Don't wait any longer. Register today. Let's rejoin Matt as we continue looking at this command concerning our neighbors. 
All right, so the first word in this command is rebuke. So we need to rebuke. Now we can't stop with that word because uh, there will be some people who have no problem rebuking. I mean, your problem is you love rebuking. Uh, Rebuking is like your spiritual gift. Like you rebuke recreationally. The idea is rebuke your neighbor, not the person you hate, not your enemy. And this is real important. When the writers of scripture talk about neighbor, we're called to love our neighbor. So to rebuke our neighbor is incredibly profound here. And by the way, this is not limited to the person who lives in the room or the condo or the apartment or the house or whatever it is next to you. It's the person who life brings near to you. In our day, very often, our neighbor uh, primarily is uh, someone we work with because we spend a lot of time there. What does it look like if people do or do not rebuke their neighbor that coworker, frankly. I'll give you a picture of this. A friend of mine works for a consulting firm where he primarily works with leadership teams in offsite retreats. Well, he was uh, working with a management team one time that was quite young. Uh, a lot of maturity issues uh, surfaced. By lunch on the first day of this two-day offsite, he said every single member of the team had pulled him aside to tell him who the real problem was. Uh, Everyone agreed that the real problem was Cindy. Now, everyone knew the real problem uh, on the team was Cindy except one person. Guess who? Yeah, Cindy didn't know. Uh, The first day they talked about communication and trust. The the second day they talked about strategy and alignment and so on. You know, and Cindy was uh, talking with great confidence as though uh, she was a tremendous contributor to the team while the other team members were just like boiling inside. And finally, the youngest guy on the team erupted and said, you know, Cindy, you're such a jerk and you never get your work done on time. All of a sudden there was this like dead silence and everyone was looking at their shoes. Uh, You know how that goes in a group like, oh man, this is so awkward, like no one look up. Uh, Then my friend walked to the whiteboard and he wrote on the upper left-hand corner, the words, Cindy, you're such a jerk. And down on the right corner, he wrote, and you never get your work done on time. And then he turned to the group, and by now, everyone was locked in, you know, just wondering, what is he going to say? He said, we're going to come back to this statement, pointing to Cindy, you're such a jerk. Uh, Trust me, we'll come back to that. But we're going to start down here. Again, this is like advanced community. This is real crucial. A lot of times, especially in churches, when someone says something wrong, Everyone in the group will rush to rescue the victim and pile onto the guy who said it wrong. And the real problem never gets addressed because there's just kind of this idea about rescuing victims. So my friend said, we're going to start with Cindy. You don't get your work done on time. Is that true? Does Cindy not get her work done on time? Everyone was looking back down at their shoes, just kind of trying to break eye contact. And so we went around the room, no sugarcoating, no varnishing, yes or no. Does Cindy get her work done on time? No, 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 no. Everyone said no. Rebuke your neighbor, frankly. Guess who wanted to talk next? Yeah, Cindy wanted to talk. She was humiliated. She was mortified. And I know that feeling. She said, I can't believe you would all wait until a stranger is here to tell me this. It's real clear you've felt this way for quite a long time. 
No one has said anything to me. Why didn't you say anything? And then someone asked her, Cindy, is there a, a problem at home? It's kind of like a misguided attempt at grace. And she said, no, there's not. Well, what's the real problem? Someone asked. She said, well, we've grown by more than a third this last year, but I have no more resources. You come to me with communication needs and I have a third heavier load, but I have no one to help. So I just keep trying to put my head down and work harder and harder. The CEO stepped in at this point and said, you know, we have resources because we've been growing. If I would have known that, we would have provided help. The problem was actually solvable. Uh, most problems are. So much of the, the toxicity had kind of drained out of the room by this point. And so my friend said, okay, now we need to come back here, pointing to Cindy, you're such a jerk. Uh, but before he could say anything, the guy who said it spoke up. He's like, I got this. Uh, Cindy, I just want you to, I just want to say to you, I'm sorry I said that. Uh, what I wish I would have said was, I'm so frustrated with you because when we come together, usually we're all up to date, but you're not. It's so interesting. Uh, sometimes the workplace does a better job of spiritual formation than the church does. Maybe another way of saying that is God is at work to form character all the time, everywhere. Workplace, church, it doesn't matter to him. Uh, we need to get really good at this rebuking your neighbor. But we need to do this in love. We need to ask God for skill and help and empathy and, and not a spirit of judgmentalism or contempt. Rebuke your neighbor, frankly. <laughs> That's a tough one. I'd rather do it obliquely. I'd rather rebuke my neighbor obliquely. I'd rather do it indirectly. I'd rather do it subtly. I'd rather do it uh, to a third party. I know what's going to happen is when I start talking about this, it's you know, a sensitive issue and it's going to be a crucial moment and my relationship is going to rise or fall in that moment. And then there's going to be like this life or death deal and it's going to be really difficult and I won't be able to articulate like I want to. And if I'm angry, I might overstate stuff. You know, if I'm feeling anxious, I, I might waffle a little bit. Here's what's interesting. Even with people who think they're real bold, we have a real problem speaking truth in love. How early in life do you think this starts? We know that talking about difficult truths can be difficult for adults. How early do you think you learn to lie to other people to keep relationships smooth? Uh, this is so fascinating. Uh, Joseph Grenny has a son, and he did a little experiment to find out how early in life kids learn somewhere how to lie to smooth over relationships. Uh, this is so classic, I have to show it to you. We all know adults stink at talking about tough things, but how about little kids? Here's my experiment. Feed kids wretched brownies, then see if they'll tell you the truth, especially when they think it might hurt your feelings. First I made the brownies. Lots of chocolate, eggs and flour, but instead of sugar, I put in salt. Lots of salt. There's no way they could like these better. Now I recruit kids of various ages for a taste test. 
I tell them I want to compare ordinary brownies to my special brownies. My dear grandmother's special recipe. My dear dead grandmother's special recipe. Then I give them a dollar for being such a big help. My parents always taught me that if you want someone to like you, give them money. Okay, here goes. First they ate the yummy sugar brownies. Next, they eat the salt bricks. Watch this girl. She can hardly keep from gagging. And now for the crucial moment. Will they tell me the truth and possibly offend me? I asked them to point to the brownies they like best. No surprise that some tried to spare my feelings. But watch. Even the one who gagged? And how about really little kids? But do you want to know what they really thought? Here guys, I have leftovers. Does anybody want seconds? <laughs> That's great, isn't it? Uh, here's the thing, we've all been to that meeting. We've all been a part of that group. We've all been a member of that family. We've all been in that church. Everyone knows the brownies stink except the brownie maker. Everyone talks about it in the hallways. Everyone talks about it with each other. They just don't rebuke the brownie maker, frankly. They hate his brownies in their hearts. Now, why do we do that? Why do we not speak the truth in love when the writers of scripture are so clear about our calling to do that? Well, I think it's because of a lie. I think there's a lie that the evil one gets human beings, you and me, to believe. And that is, I must choose between telling the truth or keeping a friend. I think I have to smooth things. I think I have to hide things. I have to spin. I have to avoid. This is so different than the wisdom of the writers of scripture. Uh, this was said thousands of years ago, and it remains so true today. This is from the book of Proverbs. The kisses of an enemy may be profuse. You know, someone who doesn't really love me might flatter me. They might spin stuff. They might try to make me feel good. But faithful and true are the wounds of a friend. It's better to have a wound, you know, painful truth from a friend that will lead me to the man of God uh, that he wants me to be than flattering words that will make me feel better or avoid causing pain in the moment, but make me a worse person. The idea of having crucial conversations with people is so central to life. And it, as, as in every other area, the master of crucial conversations is Jesus himself. I mean, think about it. Over and over again, when he's with people, he has really difficult conversations. One time a guy who's known as the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he wants Jesus to kind of affirm his spiritual life because he's so righteous. You know, my brownies are so good. Uh, but they're not. And so this is what the writer of scripture says. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He doesn't say, yeah, you're on the right track. You know, I don't want to hurt your feelings. Keep going. You're going to set records. He said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. That's a crucial conversation. I mean, that's going to change that guy's life. 
Jesus didn't have this conversation because he didn't love the guy. He had it because he loved him. One time there was a woman named Martha. Uh, Jesus is at her home and her sister Mary is listening to Jesus and Martha is in the kitchen making the brownies. Uh, She's mad at Mary, but she won't go rebuke Mary frankly. She goes to Jesus. Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus will not do that. It's very interesting. Jesus tells us about his relationship with Mary. He says, he says Jesus loved Martha and her sister. He loved them, so he rebukes her. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, can you imagine if Jesus didn't have crucial conversations with his disciples, with the religious leaders, with everyone? And the New Testament wouldn't exist. Here's the deal. We see this so clearly in Jesus's life. We don't have crucial conversations in spite of love. We have crucial conversations because of love. And so the question is, who is it that God is calling you to have a crucial conversation with this week? You know, I was thinking about this with Jesus, and I've never really thought about this before. Uh, Jesus' life is a record of crucial conversations. I mean, the very first conversation he had when he was 12 years old was a crucial conversation. His mom and dad find him in the temple. They're upset because they couldn't find him before. They say, why have you done this to us? Why, Why are you treating us this way? He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be here. He doesn't get sarcastic with them. He says, don't you know, I have to be about my father's business. And then he goes home and is their son. I never really thought about this before. This is just amazing. The very last conversation Jesus has is with a, um, while he's dying on the cross, uh, is with a thief on the cross. And it's a crucial conversation. There's a thief on his left and there's a thief on his right. Uh, They're also being crucified. One thief says, You know, if you're the Messiah, why don't you save yourself? And the other dying thief says, no, you know, you belong here. I belong here, but not him, not Jesus. Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, his last conversation is a crucial conversation. So you need to remember, you're not going into these conversations alone. Jesus who understands all about crucial conversations is with you and will help you. And remember, this is not community 101. This is like advanced community. But God is calling us, all of us, to do this with courage and love and trust and confidence in the midst of fear. So who is God calling you to do this with? It might be a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister or a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a boss or a coworker, but there's someone. Will you do it this week? Will you say, God, I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to get some people to pray for me, but I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to shrink away. I'm not going to carry hate in my heart. I'm going to have that crucial conversation. I will rebuke my neighbor, frankly. Will you do it this week? And remember, you're not doing it by yourself. God will do this this with you. 
All right, let me pray for you and then Michaela and the team will lead us in a closing song. God, I ask for your wisdom and your help that your Holy Spirit would go with us as we have these crucial conversations this week. God, help us to rebuke, to tell the truth to those in our lives. Help us to uh, do it in a loving way. Uh, Help us to uh, do it honestly, but help us to do, um, do this with uh, grace and truth and, and love and with the, the guidance of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would be with us and that you would, um, that you would divinely ordain these conversations so that they would go well and so that they would be fruitful and they would uh, bring, bring us to the place where we can be together in community, in relationship, and not have these kinds of uh, divisions between us. Um, God, would you guide us? It's going to only happen uh, by the wisdom and guidance of your Holy Spirit. So I pray that you would be with us, that you would guide us, that you would make it clear to us uh, what we need to do and what we need to say this week. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And we hope to see you on Sunday soon.